so let's say Adam and Eve uh, passed the test or whatever, if that's if that's possible, right? I think it's probably a new story uh, that, that God would have to be telling. But they make robots in the garden. They're unfallen, but they make they make robots and they give robots, you know, the opportunity to mm. obey them or or obey God, right? Maybe maybe they tell they pass the um, pass God's command on to the robot and says, "Do not pick. Do not try and eat." from this garden, uh, from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they eat from it. Does the robot enter sin into the world, or is it only through um, humans? I think this will help us get at whether like, the image bearer is an ontological thing for us, or whether it's a functional category that robots yeah. can also satisfy. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Setacase, and this is a podcast where we explore all the deepest ideas in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. Today, I have another special guest. I have with me Joshua K. Smith, and he just wrote a book on robot theology, and it's awesome. It's a really good book. I'm really stoked to get into it with him, uh, talk about robot persons, robot rights, artificial intelligence, all that good stuff, and uh, theological implications and applications. So it's going to be amazing. I'm really excited for it. Before we jump into that conversation, I want to thank everyone for making this podcast uh, happen, everyone over on Patreon. If you like this podcast, if it's your top five, top 10 favorite podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon patron. I would love to do this full time. I would love to be flying out to Josh right now and and talking in person uh, and buying robots uh, and and all sorts of stuff. (laughs) to use for this episode, but uh, we're not there yet. So if you like this podcast, please become a Patreon patron. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, there's a new feature that uh, is called Super Thanks, and you can look right down there somewhere and find it. It's it's Super Thanks. If you don't want to become a monthly patron, you can just give to whatever episode you like. If you like a certain argument by Josh or, or a point that we made in this episode, go ahead and, and shoot a Super Thanks. That'd be huge. And um even even furthermore, uh, Josh is a, is a YouTuber himself, and he might come back and, and revisit the comment section. So be cool in the comments, but uh, leave us a comment. Like, what do you think about this episode? What do you think about the arguments there? Uh, do you think it's plausible? Do you think it's crazy? We want to hear from you guys as well. So uh, without further ado, let's bring Josh in and let's talk about robot theology. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Hey, man. Thanks, Parker. Glad to be here. Yeah, some someone mentioned your book, and uh, I found you on Twitter, and was like, "This guy's awesome. This guy's a bro. This guy is like a kindred <laughs> kindred spirit here, man." So I, I sure. love the work you're doing. I love, uh, I love all that. But um, oh, so so the book I don't have a physical copy in my hand yet, mm-hmm. but uh, it's called Robot Theology: Old Questions Through New Media. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm so glad that you're working on this stuff because this is stuff that I I want to work on as well. How did you get into thinking about robots and theology? Oh, it's a long story. Uh, the short of it is uh, in high school, I, I did some programming, thought I would kind of end up in that world um, through Votech. Uh, I know schools don't do that as much anymore, but mm. uh, so I spent two years in a uh, Votech program uh, working with a uh, car manufacturing plant not too far from here where I live. And uh, it's a Nissan plant. Anyway, they have lots of robots in those plants, obviously. And hmm. um, so we did after school program for a year and kind of got my certificate and thought I might do that for a living. Um, just really enjoyed it. And I've always been fascinated, you know, with 
computers and stuff because I didn't have one growing up. Like some people did, but I was we we're kind of on that that the the precipice of personal computing. Hmm. Like it had been going on for a while, right? Uh, yeah, you know, since you know ARPA and DARPA, but uh, as far as like everybody owning one that wasn't quite where we were and we didn't have internet growing up um you know so it was always fascinating to me and i've got a little bit of an engineer in me that spirit to take things apart Hmm. and kind of see the circuitry underneath and and play with it and i've just never been scared of that so that's just a little background on me uh philosophically what i'm i'm interested in and how i like to undo things and re redo them. Yeah. And then in the military, uh, we worked with some systems, um, that were semi automated, semi autonomous. And I don't know if we'll get into that, but, um, so I came back to that in my PhD work to really think about some of these implications, uh, especially about warfare Hmm. and automated warfare, uh, autonomous warfare drones, and, and even lethal autonomous weapon systems. And so during my um, doctoral work, I just approached one of my professors one day and said, hey, look, um, this is kind of around the time that AI was kind of revamping back up mm-hmm. and the discussions about it. And then there were uh, guys like Andy Crouch and others who were talking about it in, in some forms. And uh, I just wanted to look more into it from a philosophical and theological perspective because there yeah. wasn't much out there. Um, other than some stuff that had been happening at MIT in the late nineties and stuff like that, there was kind of a surge, uh, but that was still before my time in academics. So I wanted to revisit all that and just kind of see what was out there. And uh, what I found was like a handful of uh, female scholars who had been writing on this stuff and almost nothing from my theological perspective. And so I uh, approached the professor and he said, yes, I, this, I, I would be dying to, to do some directed reading with you on this. And uh, so I did um, sex robots and personhood. That was the, the two topics that I wrote on mm. for, for that seminar. And that became uh, later developed into a couple chapters into my dissertation. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you turned that into a book, too. Can you, can you tell the audience about uh, that book? Yeah, so I I wanted to make my dissertation available, but if your audience doesn't know, if you publish a dissertation, most of the time, um, it's it's not accessible like financially to the public. Right. Usually, they're like one hundred and fifty dollars, um, or at least like most people that even they go through somebody a publisher that actually publish it, it's usually extremely expensive. So right. I decided to self publish it. Um, just to make it feasible. And I went through a company um, that's owned by Zondervan and uh, Thomas Nelson. Okay. So uh, self-published that in 2020, I think, 21, something like that. And, um, and then started thinking a little bit broader about some of these topics. And that's what led to robot theology as I kind of got more into that community. Um and so I was kind of accepted in to this philosophical circle once yeah. I put the dissertation out there and people are like, okay, yeah, there's a, uh, at least a handful of theologians thinking about this topic. Um, most of them are outside of the U S but anyway, yeah, it was good. And, um, 
I kind of had some more time to research other scholarship and writers that I was aware of, but not um, as in-depth as I wanted to be mm. um, kind of like with the literature. And so basically the second books, which is really short, is just a crash course into all the source material that you should be aware of as uh, either someone who's interested in philosophical theology, theology general, um, you know, just interested in sci-fi or whatever yeah. it is, you know, these are the sources that you really need to engage with. And, and these are some, some major arguments uh, for the integration of robots into society yeah. and what that looks like. So both of those works are very different, but they're, they're similar in some of their uh, subject matter as far yeah. as like the personhood issue, which I think is to me one of the biggest issues uh, in this discussion because this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, robots, they, everybody has an assumption about them straightforward out of the gate. People will tell you yes or no to questions that they wouldn't otherwise. They just have philosophical assumptions that come to the surface very quickly. When you ask a person or a human person, you know, can a robot be human? Yes or no. And people will tell you very quickly, yes or no. And then okay, will what about a legal person, you know, if, if they are familiar with that language? Or what about, you know, a moral person or a mm -hmm. patient or an agent? And and one side that a com conversation has gotten a lot of attention, you know, the uh, machines cannot be human type conversation. I understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, sorry, I don't want to jump ahead. But, uh, no, no, no worries. Well, well, yeah, actually, let me stop you there because I do want to go there. But um, before before that. Um, you did your PhD at Midwestern, and it's a, a theology PhD. Mm -hmm. Why did you go? I'm, I'm glad you did this, actually. But why did you go theology route instead of uh, philosophy route? Um, philosophy just kind of found me. Okay, I wasn't looking for it. Um, mm -hmm. So originally, my plan was to strictly do theology uh, general, okay. and uh, biblical theology was my main emphasis, kind of almost halfway through my dissertation. Wow. Not dissertation, but um, through my program. Okay. So it's a 52 credit hour program. So it's about four or five years. Uh, you could do it in three years, but so you have about four years to kind of get to a topic. And in mine really started with, it had some philosophical overlap. So philosophy of mind was always a major emphasis of mine. So I was thinking about memory 
Um, so Augustine's uh, all the way from Augustine four to um, even modern conceptions of memory and mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I wanted to think about it more so from a theological perspective, as far as you know things like the Lord's Supper and stuff like that, how they um, kind of give us a cognitive jolt um, to the presence of you know the dying Christ and and all these other things with like you know, these, these stones that were set up, these boundary stones, how they, when you see them, it's supposed to, you know, elicit a, a feeling, an emotion, a memory, and, and the kind of ancient concept of the mind. And so I was very interested in stuff like that, just out of the gate in the program. Yeah. Um, and then my love of sci-fi just kind of mm-hmm. engulfed me halfway through. And I don't know if I just had a mental breakdown or what, but, um, something changed and I, I wanted to to do more philosophy and I've always loved it. And yeah. some of my earliest uh, theology professors were philosophers. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that had something to do with it. Um, you know, the guy that really formed me a lot early on in undergrad um, was, you know, he had a philosophy degree from Wales. He had a philosophy degree from um, NOBTS in New Orleans. You know, he had one from, um, his undergrad was in philosophy, his master's in like it's just all kinds of stuff. So yeah. I was I was just kind of baked into that. And I guess I didn't have a chance. But <laughs> um, you know, he kind of he I think he wanted me to do philosophy. I think that was kind of his urging to me was don't do a theology degree. Mm. And I did because <laughs> not because of that, but because you know how it's connected to ministry and yeah. and so maybe it had more to do with pragmatics, but it, the love's always been there. Like, I, I think in, in a lot of ways, you know, going back to the scholastics, they, they've always been intertwined. You can't really separate uh, philosophy from theology and vice versa. I don't, I don't think you can. Some people do, but yeah, um, that's more of a modern thing, but yeah, I, I love it. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I hear you. I, I'm the same way. I was at Ted's, uh, mm. And all my papers were like philosophy papers or trying to be philosophy papers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was cool because because Van Hooser, you know, I did a lot of work under him and he mm. is really philosophically minded and yes. uh, way more on the continental side. But but I found a bunch of uh, analytic stuff in his work, too, and, and he can go both. So it was really fun. Oh, yeah. it's fun. It's fun working with people that that uh, can do both, because I think mm-hmm. you're supposed to be able to do both. Right. And I think uh, if you're if you're lacking on one of the two poles, like you're going to be. Uh, oblong you're going to be weird shaped mm. in your in your theology and in your philosophy yeah. um so so i want to jump in um chapter i think it's chapter one you talk about a humanity's uh interest in automata going all the way back to like greco-roman type stuff mm-hmm. um man it's it's tough to like ask you to recount all of that or anything like that but can you can you give us like a layout like for a lot of a lot of the listeners they're going to think well AI, uh, artificial intelligence type stuff is uh, a modern thing, you know, started in mm-hmm. the 60s or something like that. But you're like, no, not not quite. Can you help us out? Like, wh- how far back does this go? Yeah, um, I think it goes back to, I, th- I think about the tower too, like this quest. Well, I mean, what's the original question is, can we make a machine that thinks like a human? Mm. So can we replicate our, our own internal processes and uh, framing of the world? Can we do that? That's not a new question, you know, that that goes all the way back to um, I, I would even say, like, with the imaging of of idols and stuff is, mm. you know, Adam made Seth in his own image. You know, that is the stepchild 
uh, verse of uh, in Genesis mm. five about the uh, Imago Dei imagery in, in that language, but it's the same word in that in that concept gets uh, it gets muddled real fast. But mm. and I don't think it's supposed to tell us everything. Like I don't I don't think it's um, but I think it's it's dealing with creating something that's like me that um, is ontologically like me that is um you know it mirrors my desires it mirrors my my wants and that that is what children in in a sense is but um as far as like fashioning a robot with circuits no that's that's not there right Right. there's there's not sensors and actuators and all those things but um i think even with idols the the false images i think that is there as well as trying to get something whether it be power security crops whatever it is that is in the ancient world very much so yeah and and trying to control something and that's what the automaton is it's it's something that you can control uh overpower force whatever you want to fill in the blank with that's what it's about and just because they didn't have the certain components to to make what we can make today that to me it's no different like it's um all this technology that we use today is just recycled and there's there's no new materials right we just refashion them and recycle them we yeah. mine we mine the earth for these materials and we reuse them now there are some people out there who are a little bit bonkers and think that you know love them god love them but they think like the egyptians had cell phone towers and stuff like that yeah. and they might have i don't know but that's not where i'm going right um <laughs> that's not what i'm saying uh but they're there's a lot of wisdom in these ancient cultures mm. and they may not understand physiology like we understand or, um, you know, physics in the same way that we understand it now um, or atoms or things like that. But the concepts are there. Like yeah. we we're building off those fundamental concepts. And um, I, I think we just need to appreciate a little bit more um, and then kind of see the progression of thought and where we get to today I think that matters. And I think even in my present work uh, with technology, it's, it's all a very religious hope driven cycle. Yeah. And that, that can be for ruin or for restoration. Yeah. And so that's, well, I grabbed, that's very I, important. Yeah. I grabbed a quote from you along those lines. Um, and you say, the more I study AI and robots, the more I see it as a litmus test for finding someone's theology, philosophy, and anthropology, even when they claim they are not religious or philosophically inclined. Mm-hmm. I thought that's cool, man. I thought I thought it was cool that you went all the way back and made a connection, at least to idols. Um, and you know, there people can quibble and say, "Well, they they." If you ask Jordan Peterson, then they didn't really think that the gods were living in the idols. And like, who knows, man? You, there's there's a lot of scholars and and getting in the minds of the mm-hmm. the ancients and what they thought about the idols is tough. But there's this connection here, where you're taking mm-hmm. an inanimate object and trying to make it animate in some sense. And, um, I thought, I thought another really fascinating story was, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, but I think it's, is it Rab, Rabbi, uh, mm-hmm. Judah Love, Louvre? Yeah. Lord? Something like that. I don't know okay. either. Okay. I don't know how to Let's pronounce stop. it. I won't yeah. butcher it. Yeah. But it's his, <laughs> it's his, uh, the golem, the, and, and, mm-hmm. and I think it's golem or golem. Mm-hmm. It's not golem. That's Lord of the Rings. I think it's golem, yeah. but that's like a, uh, you know, a Jewish fable. And it's like mm-hmm. the, the golem's going to come get you. And I knew it that way, but I didn't know about the automata and the, the word in its mouth. Can you recount that for us? Yeah. So basically the story was that, um, he would put, 
a certain word in its mouth, a Hebrew word, and every night he would take it out so that it wouldn't reanimate. Um, it was for truth, right? It was like the word for truth. Yeah, yeah. And um, basically, mf emmet. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and so, so um, basically, it would protect the Jews or whoever or whatever it would do, right? Um, and it's really hard to find this story hmm. in in the source work. Like you have to uh, really do some digging to find it. But I encourage readers to do it. But basically, one night he forgot to take out the letter and um, or the note and or the word. And it came alive and it wreaks havoc. And so it has to be destroyed, basically. Hmm. And and I think that that goes on in, in other Greco-Roman sources, too, like that. Um, you know, the Greeks had their own version of that. Um, OK, other, others. Um, there's a there's a book called God and Robots, if you're interested in, in the Greco-Roman sources uh, by by Mayer, M-A-Y-O-R. And um, she does a great job of like really going through the source material in a way that I just didn't have time to. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the Golim makes it into her book. I can't recount that. I don't think it does. I think she's more focused on the the Greco-Roman source work, especially the Greeks. Um, But yeah, it's is that that the proper is that the proper it's Golim is that. Did that's I how like an, that's how I say it. I well, know. I say pensies instead of ponce, so people are used to me mispronouncing stuff. Oh, Goalie. I do it all. Okay. I do it all the time. So I'm southerner, so I'll just blame it on being southern. Yeah, that's good. Do you? Uh, if you can, you say uh, Platonist for me. Platonist. Oh, you said it right. My southern friends always go Platonist, Platonism. No, and I'm no. like, dude, that's weird. Yeah. Well, you got it. So you got you got the nice southern accent. I like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so I, I mean, that part is so interesting. So I recommend, uh, I commend the book, uh, just for chapter one, just to see like, Hey, Thank this you. is, this is not, it's, it's, it's exactly what your uh, subtitle is old questions through new media. And, and you just go through showing how our fascination with automata is an old question and we have new media for it. And so it's cool. It's not like, it's not like there's nothing new under the sun completely, but it's like, yeah, in, in different media, there's new media and the same questions. So it's cool to, to find our our humanity and our, our questions traced back yeah. all the way all the way back to the ancient world. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get in on uh, robot persons because I think that um, man that does it does play such a huge role in all of these questions. Like, can mm-hmm. robots be persons? And and maybe in chapter one, you're, you're talking about ontological differences between humans and the rest of creation and i think you were saying that the imago day is like a functional role but maybe i got that wrong yeah um i'm not so ironclad about you know where i stand on that still okay i think i think it's it's more of the the image um so mark cortez has I didn't know this at the time we met and we talked about it some, um, but when I was writing, you know, about idolatry and yeah. about imaging, like I've always made that connection and he does as well. And so uh, I could have brought him in to kind of fill in the blanks a little bit because that's also a theory that he has. And so when I think about, because the, how the word is used so many different times and it's so broad right there's like 14 different words for for idols yeah just in just in the hebrew so i mean it can mean a lot of different things 
it's used a lot of different ways. But I think the purpose of the Imago Dei and right in, in person is not used in like there's no theological category for it. Mm. So it's not like whereas, whereas you could look up like human or and, and say, OK, well, obviously the human is connected to the Imago Dei. Right. But not every person in Scripture is connected to that directly. Because um, because you've got angels and fallen angels and God and uh, yeah. presumably and all persons, right? But all, not all. all things, all things that. So in my definition, and I, I guess that's where you have to kind of land is you have to say, what's the difference between a human and a person? Are there are there differences? Yeah. Um, and and that was kind of the major question of the dissertation is saying, yes, there are there are differences. And um, I think there are categories for for thinking about persons on, on different levels because of how they're considered, not just not just in, you know, not just because we're ontologically different, right? Their cat is not the same thing as a human, mm-hmm. um, not just because there's difference in DNA, uh, but because of how they function in that story. So I, I guess in a lot of ways, yes, I, I, I fall under the functional view, okay. but at the same time. I also see kind of like this quilting together of all the views, right? I don't, I don't like just saying I'm one yeah. because that to me is dangerous, you know, yeah. and it kind of, you open yourself to all the counter examples and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I don't, I don't like the whole point of personhood to me is opening up the moral circle, yeah. not closing it. So that's, that's why I'm cautious to always say, well, you know, I, I do believe that there's functional aspects to it. Yeah. But there's also these other pieces that are really important. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we get into the limit cases, that's, that's where it matters. It matters in the margins uh, yeah. the most. And and so I want to be very careful. Well, so Josh, you, do you take angels to be persons? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I agree with Thomas there. I agree. Okay. Okay. Um, because you... of the role they play too, right? They're so. As messengers like, if, or. As messengers, as worshipers, um, yeah. now, I do think there are levels to it. Like, I don't, I don't think that, like, a lot of times we just want to lump everything into the humanist box. Like, either you're human or not, and humans are exceptional and unique, and they're really, in a lot of ways, not. Hmm. And I think that's that's where we get into trouble. Well, so what what are some of those ways that the humans are are not uh, special, not unique? Well, again, you could you could look at how we function. Um, you could look at our roles that we play. Like, if you really wanted to tease out how is the human different from the angel, mm. like what what are the boundaries? And you you have theologians, especially, saying that there are sharp ontological boundaries to between a human and a animal and a tree and an angel, and and that's why they're not included in the moral circle of uh, moral person. Well, yeah. and you know, and I can, we can make justifications for that, you know, from observation and in science and stuff like that, but I don't have that so distinctly hmm. in the biblical witness to say it's so sharp, right. That it, we can cut a divide. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah, I, could, uh, I couldn't say that. Okay. Okay. Well, so, I mean, um, I think it's probably, uh, um, yeah, it's after Genesis 3 where God God says, well, first he says, here's all the plants and, and mm-hmm. their fruit, right? And you can eat those. And then he says, here's the animals. 
and he gives them he goes on to tell the jews here's the ones you eat and don't eat but he never says eat people or eat the, yeah. the gentiles right those those swine um so i mean right like, implicitly in there you see like there are there are like qualitative differences right because sure. you can eat you can yeah. eat this one you can't eat that one mm-hmm. um i wonder do you do you also go i, I believe this is thomas's case i know um thomas is hard to interpret but i think <laughs> thomas thought that angels were image bearers of god too yeah you know, Yes, do you, do you do you follow him there? I mean, I think so. I, okay. I mean, it, it depends how you you open up the the view of yeah. the Imago Day, right? Um, yeah. What is it? I think yeah. it's a question that we have to ask first. Um, and so, if we can't define it, how can we say that we don't know what it is, but we know what it is not distinctly, and we're going to draw sharp boundaries um to say okay um i'm not going to eat chicken anymore because i think that it's a you know a moral person or whatever yeah that's not what that's not what i believe sure but i'm just saying there are people that go there right not and not from a theological perspective from a scientific and uh, philosophical perspective you have people uh philosophers like peter singer and others who um I, i understand there's there's qualms, but still there are people that move to, to veganism because um, these animals feel pain. And so, sure. and, and that's where people start, right? They say, well, the difference for us morally is whether or not this being can feel pain, suffering. Mm-hmm. And that's just a philosophical quandary in itself is, is the problem of pain and what it is and how we test and limit and observe yeah. it, right? You can't. So I think for me, it's a, it's an issue of caution mm-hmm. in all these things to say, okay, well, I've never seen an angel. Maybe I have. Yeah. Perhaps I have. Yeah. Um, but I've never sat down with one and said, okay, um, how are we distinct? How are we, how are we different? And yeah. what we could say, you know, there are passages, Paul talks about humans judging angels in the, uh, judgment. Yeah. Well, that is not about ontology as it much as it's about like we are in a different circumstance than they are. Like we're in a different realm. And so you could, um, you yeah. could also say that we, we were playing di- uh, different functional roles if you want to go yeah. with the, the function, right? Because, yeah. yeah. So, and I don't know. It's, I know it's, it's, this is all like speculation. We're going to, mm-hmm. next we're going to answer uh, how many angels can dance in the head of the band. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if in scripture we we find out that that uh, humans are image bearers of God, it's explicit. But it, it's not as explicit that angels are, right? And then you do see no. some subservience or something like that in that where we'll be judging them. Perhaps that's a later state. Maybe that's in our glorified state, you know, or maybe maybe that's not the ontology of it that that we are made to judge them. But but after you know um, you know post lapsarian, uh, mm-hmm. you know being indwelled by God, maybe that does raise us up higher. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough to say that ontologically because then, then wh- whoever has the Holy spirit is like ontologically superior to humans yes. who don't. And that's crazy. Uh, I don't know if that's crazy. Yeah. It seems a little crazy, right? Mm-hmm. I um, think so. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, those are, those are the like trajectories that you fall into, right? Mm. If you, you start making those distinctions, which people do a lot. And and I understand that I don't 
all of it is speculation and I don't sure. have, um, but I think there's, there's good grounds for that. And totally. We got, we have, we got to, we have to do that. It's, yes. it's so good. And yeah, it, it, like you said, um, about AI and robots, it shows where your philosophy and theology and anthropology is at. Oh, so yeah, I think absolutely. going in on this, on this, on the, as long as you're not saying, here's my new uh, confession and you have to hold to this and this is it. No, we're not doing that, but we're, yeah. we're wrestling through this to show and think deeper about God and the Bible and his creation. I love yeah. it. I love that, yeah. that you want to go there. I do. And, um, yeah. and there's a lot of philosophers that, um, scientists, um, even engineers that are, are asking these questions. Yeah. And I think for me, a lot of the, a lot of the reasons why I remain in this space is because they are wrestling with those questions of anthropology. Yeah. Not from a theological perspective, but from a philosophical one. And I want to help and I want to be a part of that conversation with them. Yeah. And so they may not be asking questions about angels, but they are asking questions about animals. And so, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's great. You know, we, we have lots of, um places to interact and discuss in those in those yeah. concerns and real concerns right because all of this is kind of summed up in especially in genesis 1 through 11 is these issues of ecology and and how these systems function together mm-hmm. and and we are the only animal if you want to put it that way that depends so desperately on our environment for survival and so even if you can't get there with the Imago Day stuff, I think you should be able to get there from a pragmatic perspective that, hey, like I, I need I need to have some boundaries in place so that I don't go extinct or <laughs> that, you know, we, we live on or that we live healthily. Or if we are the only indwelling of God and we are, you know, exceptional and unique, shouldn't we shouldn't we care deeply about how we use that temple or body um in this world like shouldn't we think deeply about how we treat animals as if they're lesser beings yeah i think that they are for sure um or robots or you know artificial intelligence or yeah you know ai persons whatever it is like we even if we are the most unique apex creation it still doesn't take away um the fact that we should be concerned about the planet, yeah. its environment, because it doesn't belong to us. Well, and Josh, that's a, that's the, that's a huge thing too, right? Like we're, we're the, if we are the apex, I think we are uh, for lots of different reasons, right? Like we're super soft and squishy. You put us in the, in the, um, in the jungle, but if you give us a spear, now we're back up on top. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, but we're supposed to be like these servant leaders. And I know, I know that word is abused so much from the pulpit mm. and stuff. Servant leadership, right? Again, I work in ministry, so I hear it all the time. But like we, we were made uh, to exercise dominion, not domination, right? Mm-hmm. And like it's not just sometimes people will say like the world is, is uh, our playground. God made it our playground. Mm. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't, that doesn't bring in the responsibility as much, <laughs> right? Like yeah. we it, for sure have fun, but we're also supposed to care for the animals, right? And so. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was interesting, too, because you, you brought up some of, um, uh, at least I think in the intro you, you were talking about, and, and you did in later chapters, um, using robots uh, in, a, in a way for, for human flourishing, right? And, mm-hmm. and even thinking the implications of, like, factory farming and stuff like that, and, like, using robots in an ethical way to, to, to factory farm. And it's not, we have this, uh, we have this, like, Lord of the Rings 
hobbit <laughs> living in a hobbit hole type type romanticism a lot where mm-hmm. it's like i just want the moss covered roof and i'm with i'm with you guys but i also like the dystopian uh blade runner mm-hmm. type stuff too yes there's there's some kind of there's some kind of holy union between the two do you think that we're able to do that this side of the fall and and so that too that are we able to get to that point do you think um and then if if there was no fall you think mm-hmm. that we would make robots it's good questions um you know things that i've wrestled with extensively in my own mind and heart that you know could there be machines in the garden yeah and i don't know that i can answer that um, right right but I, I like to think that all this stuff all the things that we create there's a process that we go through and it's, it's a deeply philosophical i'd say theological process hmm. that you start with that human's desire for whatever and a lot of times in our own christian confession we we leave this part out um during the medieval era that there was this desire to bring about utopia through technological advancement yeah and it if you to me it's like so so prominent in the literature that if you ignore that we miss a big part of this question and a lot of people do a lot of people don't want to go to to Dante and others. Huh. And like Dante was the first, not the first, but like he's dealing with cyberspace. That's what he's dealing like, not in, you know, that's sci-fi. The divine comedy is is very much space travel and, hmm. and all this stuff. Hmm. You know, and so it's all remix, if you if you want to call it that, like we're all remixing this material. And I think it just goes back to our desires as humans to hmm extend to uh, that's the question with the serpent and and the genesis narrative um is i don't i don't know if i you know want to remain under this submission to to god who tells me something but i don't know for sure right that's and that's not necessarily like that wasn't the problem right it's it's how how they dealt with that tension which was defiance and that just seems to be a part of our nature and and granting us at least some sort of free will um and so depending on where you are on on that that scale but um they saw they saw the garden as a prison they saw eden as a prison that's interesting i never thought of it like that yeah Yeah. i mean that's to me when they're in that discourse, in that dialogue, they, you know, I just see Eve and, and Adam just kind of, you know, why would, why would God do this? Why would he put that, that tree there? And, you know, I think about that all the time, you know, is it just a, a vehicle for, um, you know, for them to practice volition, to, mm-hmm. to be free agents or whatever. And sure, absolutely. But ultimately I don't know. Um, but I think there's so much in those narratives that gets to the heart of these questions. Like yeah. even like it just, I just keep coming back to Genesis one through 11 as just the, the prime example of human history in a nutshell. So mm. I think we're always in this tension between utopia, dystopia, and that's just how it's going to be. And I don't think we'll ever escape that. And so 
even with the creation of technology, you know, before this podcast, we're, we're dealing with the fallenness of <laughs> these perfect, stream yard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these perfect implements, you know, quote unquote, that, yeah. and I, I, I tell it to my <clears> children all the time when we make things and we, we interact and, you know, like it's supposed to work. All the components are there. All, yeah. you know, it's soldered, right. It's the code is right. It's not working. Why? You know, like, you don't know. And, yeah. um, and so I think that'll never go away this side of, of heaven. And um, and so that's what really drives a lot of my concerns dealing with artificial intelligence and robots mm-hmm. and, and people worried about um, advanced general intelligence. That's that's not what worries me. What worries me is common sense intelligence and giving a robot full autonomy that thinks like a child or has the, you know, the ability of a superhuman with the emotional uh, hmm. intelligence of a child. Yeah. And that, that is what concerns me because all things break, all things lead towards, um, you know, decay. And you see these narratives competing though. Like there's, there's a narrative that we're, we're going to end up either destroying ourselves. Right. So that's the dystopia part. Nick yeah. Bostrom. Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk. So we need to create so we can combat those things. Okay, that's one side of the pendulum. The other side is uh, kind of where we started in the medieval era with thinking, rethinking about technologies that is going to lead to salvation and utopia. Yeah. And I don't think either one of those is absolutely correct. Somewhere in the middle, um, like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll lead more towards uh, Philip K. Dick or... Oh, um, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he got everything right, but man, no, like he didn't. The, yeah. the four, the forethought and yeah, you know, it's just, I'm a huge fan of his work and awesome. um, I wore the shirt for it. I wore yeah, the, me too. I have one too. Oh, it's so. awesome, dude. That's yeah. so great. <laughs> that's, it's yeah. also, I tattooed on my arm. So I have oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let me see if okay. I can. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, okay. So, so dude, this is, this is so good. So, um, the, the curse this is why this is why we think of like <clears throat> thinking of like gk beale stuff and i saw you mention him a few times um mm-hmm. I, I really like his his temple type stuff yeah um a lot of people a lot of christians uh, evangelicals is who i is i who i deal with a lot um i am an evangelical in the theological sense um sorry folks but um <laughs> yeah it doesn't just mean trump supporter but uh <laughs> a lot of a lot of uh evangelicals think hey look the garden was it like why they blow it like the but a lot of theologians and i think like gk beale and, and talking about temple motifs and and biblical theology type stuff the garden was supposed to be the the start it was the commencement mm-hmm. and we're supposed to make the rest of the earth look like the garden um yeah. and so some people will think well now we need uh robots and stuff like that and and the curse of the because of the curse of the fall that god cursed the ground and now adam will make bread by the sweat of his brow and there'll be thorns and thistles when he tries to do stuff and so now we need technology and now we need robots and if you look at it you know they didn't make clothes until after they fell and and saw that they were naked so maybe that's the first fashion right or maybe that's the first technology depending on uh, the perspective you're, Mm -hmm. you're pulling from um it could be both you know if you're a perspectivalist or something but um we didn't need technology until the fall and and i just i don't know man like we don't see that it's not like 
it's not like God said that and now you'll have technology because of that. But but thinking like if we didn't fall, we wouldn't have this curse. Um, we wouldn't have to make bread by the sweat of our brow. We'd probably still have to make bread unless there was like a bread tree. But all the evangelicals think there'd be a bread tree, dude. Like I always get this. Like, yeah, there's just going to be, you know, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's just going to be a, a tree and the fruit tastes like steak. And you're just going to yeah. pick it. And it's like, no. what a boring existence, though. Yeah, I think that's uh, that hyper literalism is yeah. kind of the, the downfall of a lot of evangelical readings of, of Genesis. Uh, in my like, I've really struggled with this text a lot. Yeah. And yeah. um one of the best readings that I found helpful was by Reformed Jew. I mean, okay. you know, like people are like, what? <laughs> yes. Uh, the guy's name was Herbert Brickdo, and he taught at Hebrew Union. Okay. Um, so like just one of the best, uh, if you're going to study Old Testament, like the the best place to study it. Um, and like his readings on Genesis, uh, E.A. Spicer was his um, supervisor chair whatever and you know basically what he does he takes all spicer's notes like his translation notes and then gives these beautiful commentaries on the theological narratives of genesis 1 through basically 11 and some okay. other in in 12 and you know he talks about abraham too but like it's just a totally different reading of genesis that really broadened my perspective of what's happening and it's not about like finding these literalistic like, yes, this was a piece of technology there, but that it's really trying to give a theological commentary in my reading of the whole scope of human history mm -hmm. of like how we go through these phases. If you really think about where we end up in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel and unified language, you know, that that could very much be binary. You know, like that, there's so many things we could put into those perspectives that are cyclical, right? that we we go through these different phases in history yeah. yeah and i'm not saying that it wasn't literal either sure like i'm not i'm not saying that that there wasn't a literal adam and eve I, I certainly believe that yeah but that i don't think that's the main point that it's trying to communicate that the the narrator is trying to tell us about yeah. and and so that's what I'm, I'm trying to get at and when i when i go there to this book is, is to try to try out you know what's what are you trying to tell me like mm. through through god's you know theological point what are you what are you trying to say is, yeah. is it it in in pain and suffering which is a big part of that uh discourse in chapter three like there was pain before the fall like mm. it, it doesn't it says i will increase your pain in childbirth that pain is not just about literally birthing the child but about watching those child children grow up about watching cain and abel about watching the destruction of humanity come from your womb yeah think about that pain and that's how we have to think about it. it's not just literally you're going to have pain in childbirth or literally adam you're going to have to work the ground but that there's going to be this lifelong struggle between you and this environment that was not there before sure. so we could have we could have made robots sure like it could have been very different you know we could have could have asked god hey can you make me um like this massive harvester because you know i'm trying to like i think that would be fine like, yeah. it runs on water or something right yeah, yeah like it's just yeah. like you know can you can you make these animals help me like i mean that's that's not what they did hmm. that's not where they go that's not where they go theologically you know they they all automatically go to god doesn't god doesn't want me to have something that he has instead of, like any father knows this like you just it's not that i don't want to give you all my power tools 
mm-hmm. there's a there's a time in which you're ready for the chainsaw and there's a time when you're not ready yeah. you know like right. and so i think there's a lot of um naiveness in adam and eve they're yeah. children you know they're children and yeah. instead of asking the father for uh implements technology that would help them in this process they they decide to take matters into their own hands and i think in a lot of ways that's our that's a human condition in our struggle is to force use implements robots um weapons whatever to yeah. to force our desires upon others and um and to, to traumatize them through that and so yeah that's where we are as humans um and we can use them for for good now i'm not sure that there are some implements that can be redeemed but there are many that can be that's interesting yeah 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 and uh, you know you can get into a, you know an exegesis of like or whether it's systematic or biblical or whatever um of our our works passing through the fire and the gold mm-hmm. uh remaining and the the chaff being burned up and it's like well if i make an ai robot there there's a there's this old like robot it's like a bunch of gears and stuff and it's 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 meant to pray and i think it was made to pray over a, a sick uh prince or, or something like that you know what i'm talking about yeah i've and seen it yeah yeah it's it's pretty creepy but it's also pretty sick that like someone thought of that and that you can still i think it still does it i think maybe they refurbished it i'm not sure if it lasted this whole time but um yeah like if that was a good i don't think it's actually praying it's just going through this functional role or whatever um but yeah, like what, whether that whether that passes through to the new heavens and the new earth, because again, mm. there's a lot of evangelical theology that thinks it's literally going to burn and everything's going to be you're going to have a bigger or smaller pile of ashes. And it's like, dude, yeah, maybe <laughs> not, maybe not, maybe not that. But um, I, w- I want to get back to the robots um, and maybe drawing out uh, some moral and ontological uh, distinctions between human persons and uh, robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go- going again back to the garden. Um, Actually, this will help uh, real quick. Sorry to do this to you. Are you. Do you lean more like Calvinist or, or Arminian? Probably more Calvinist. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, that's nice. Uh, me too. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so so let's say Adam and Eve uh, passed the test or whatever, if that's, if that's possible, right? I think it's probably a new story uh, that, that God would have to be telling. But they make robots in the garden. They're unfallen, but they make they make robots and they give robots, you know, the opportunity to mm. obey them or or obey God, right? Maybe maybe they tell they pass the um, pass God's command on to the robot and says, "Do not pick, do not try and eat from this garden, uh, from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil." And they eat from it. Does the robot enter sin into the world, or is it only through um, mm. humans? I think this will help us get at whether like the image bearer is an ontological thing for us or whether it's a functional category that robots yeah. can also satisfy? Yeah. Um, so in that case, I think they would be, I think I go back to Adam and Seth, like it, it's, it's different and I know it's distinct, but um, I still think they fall under that category of inheriting sin through the creation of a sin bearer. And now I think it's different. Like I think it's, uh, it might be more related to how animals are fallen than mm. versus how humans are fallen. Okay. And um, I could be wrong. I, it could be exactly like us, but it just mm-hmm. depends. It just depends on the machine 
and um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, new nuance you could get into there, uh, depending on what type of system we're talking about. But um, there there are a lot of similarities too, and, and I think it just depends what we're talking about as far as like what kind of robot. If, if yeah. we're talking about um, you know Powerail Corporation type robots, that mm -hmm. yeah, um, there is no obvious distinction between it and myself they're then, they're 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 conscious like us there's something that it's like to be them right yeah then i think definitely fall okay yeah and that's interesting that's i i never i've never really thought about this until thinking about it with you mm -hmm. um that's really fascinating man so the fall could have happened even if adam and eve didn't sin but made robots um and so some people will just go well that's fine because i don't think I don't think uh, AGI, artificial general intelligence, is possible. I don't think there would be something it's like to be a robot. Do you? Do you think uh, you got any any conjecture on? The, do you think that we'll be able to make robots that there's something it's like to be them? Yeah, for sure. And I Whoa. think you know, um, you know, when we think about. So if you think about neuroscience and all these things, um, I don't, I don't know how deep down this hole you want to go, but let's go, man. Um, like. A lot of people, a lot of perspectives on this are there's not a very deep metaphysical pool in which they're swimming in. Mm. But um, I mean, depending on where you fall, whether you're substance dualist or or not, or if you're, you know, strict materialist, which a, a lot of people in these discussions are yeah. materialist. And so for them, it's really hard to to make these distinctions and, and to give nuance to this conversation because there's no immaterial properties right and so right. they think so it's they think yeah, we're they just think, matter in motion so right? why not just, uh rodney brooks uh famous roboticist says that you're just a pile oh no francis crick said that you're just a pile of neurons yeah and and rodney brooks said something similar um and they they've all dealt with this question um if you just look through the you know, Hans Morvac and um, Ronnie Brooks, and uh, there's just so many of them. You just go through, which I talk more about in my dissertation, yeah. so you can okay. enjoy that. Uh, but yeah. all these um, anthropological assumptions about what the human is, what it can be, they, at first there was this movement where they thought it'll be like a child, you know, mm -hmm. and it'll think like us, and we keep trying to mirror uh, the human mind, but it's it's completely different completely yeah. different like it doesn't think like we do it doesn't decide like we do but it does do those things yeah and so that, that's, can... a, that's the distinction between like an isomorph which is like the same exact neural thing as us mm -hmm. or like yeah. uh playing the same functional role yeah and then there's like machine functionalism and and yeah. computationalism and stuff like that so for if, if we're looking just objectively like just can it do those things yes um but now Play chess right yeah like you know it can do these high cognitive functioning things but then like um then there's like more like common things that some of these systems can't do like walk up a flight of stairs or open a door i heard is really, open a really door. tricky yeah yes um and, and i think some of that has to do with trying to going in the wrong direction with some of this stuff like okay. I, I don't we're, tr we're trying to mirror it off something we don't understand like the human mind and yeah. what what the soul is you know i believe i believe in a soul the property called the soul and yeah. um oh you think like, the soul's a property 
Oh, substance. Sorry. Substance. Oh, okay. Okay. I was, sorry. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of people don't believe that they believe that we're, we're property things. And I believe that we're a combination of substances. And if you, if you hold that property things view, then yeah, absolutely. But um, I think there's something more to be said about that. And, and even in theology, we've, we've kind of moved away from that and um, you know, have thinkers like Nancy Murphy and others who in some ways are bringing in um, materialistic perspectives from mm-hmm. um, neuroscience stuff. But, but then you have people that are like, you know, that's, that's one side. There are neuroscientists who believe in the soul. There right. are, you know, right. so um, it all gets very messy and convoluted. But yeah, I think can a robot feel pain? Yeah, yeah. Whoa, like, okay. Do you, do, you, do you think what what is pain? Yeah, well, so I think it's a. Uh, I don't think it's just a neural state, right? Um, I think it's an irreducible qual- uh, qualitative feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am a substance dualist. Um, okay. I think I are you are you a hylomorphous? Yeah, I mean it's somewhat. Yeah, if you if okay. you follow Aristotle as much as Aquinas does, at some point you are. Uh, yeah, on some level, I saw, right? I, I I knew that you were a theologian by the way you spelled it because uh, my theologian friends spelled Hyle morphism, morphism mm-hmm. right, with the e, mm-hmm. and all my philosopher e. friends do the o. So I was like, oh, uh, so it, yeah, it's uh, it's funny to see the see that interplay because you're going from from the Greek, um, yes. uh, hule, and so <laughs> the, for whatever reason the philosophers. I've never I've that. never thought about that. Never it's about it's that. it's a clear distinction where you're like, okay, you're you're a philosophically minded theologian now because uh, you think it's okay. important to do the e okay. uh it's just a funny thing that i picked up along the way um no, that's just that's just default sorry I, yeah no it? it's awesome dude it's cool i love that um <clears throat> i think you're probably right in spelling it that way but whatever it, i guess it doesn't matter much so on a, on a hylomorphist view um there's so many views there's so many like you could go in for thick or thin particularism and all that stuff but so like man help help me see how a robot could could have a pain state like is it is it that they're um we made a robot in the same structure and the same structure is realized and so then they can play the functional role it would be emulated so okay like it's meant to to give or elicit a response to something that we might think would cause pain so like there are there's a robot being developed in japan for um those who are going into dentistry that you can um like if you hit you know so like when you have a root canal or something and you have um, a nerve there and you hit it right it's going to you're you're gonna your whole existence disappears you're not married you're not you don't have children like everything Mm -hmm. in your world in your mind all goes to that pain all goes to that nerve um and so that's what they're doing they're emulating that process in the mind um and so what i guess for me what is the difference between that and my pain that i feel like if it's robotic if the robotic entity or me like what's what's the difference what's the qualitative difference between those two sets of pain well i would say there's probably not a qualitative feel going on to them right like they're playing that same functional role they're they're acting in the same behavior as you right but there's something uh, it's like for you to feel that and i think they're yeah. a philosophical zombie you know like oh, okay. because 
and how i guess you know how how would you ever know like now we get back to like the problem of other minds mm-hmm. like how do i know yep. that you feel the same pain as me but like i think you mentioned natural kinds in there as well like i think it's reasonable to think you're a natural kind that you know my theology comes into play here and this is why i think theology is important for philosophy as well like i think you're mm-hmm. an image bearer of god i could be deceived so i'm not maybe i'm a fallibilist about that you could be a tyrell uh robot could be um you could be and in that case i'd say you probably not but because I, I think functionalism it could all be in a simulation well that's true too uh if that were if that were the case then then you'd have to be able to simulate consciousness but in the in the case of that robot man it's 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 playing the same functional roles but why why think that it's actually conscious yeah what well, I, I don't even think you have to have consciousness to have pain yeah I don't think so. So pain is just a functional um, behavior? In some interpretations, yes. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Um, so pain is pain is mostly a brain state, right? It's certain fibers that fire off um, when a certain stimulus is, you know, when you're poked, you're, it's, it's not, it's not that the nerve or those fibers are conscious. They are just going to respond that way so whether i'm conscious or not you know do i feel pain when i'm unconscious am i physically receiving you know pain stimulus when i'm unconscious undergoing surgery yeah i think so i just don't i don't feel it though be who like what doesn't feel it like my mind doesn't know to interpret those signals right that's that's why i'm a dualist that's why i'm a substance dualist man because like your body might be undergoing those things i don't i don't know if it does or not i don't know the empirical data on this like do you start sweating when you're being operated on i'm not sure yeah do you i i don't know anything about that whether that's yeah so you know that yeah no that's good um there's there's a lot to pain um how it can affect both the body and the mind like yes and it's so complex and i don't have all the answers here sure Um, sure that's that's why i lean towards caution yeah yeah is you know, if my wife tells me I have a headache or she has a headache, not me, but if she says I have a headache, I can't say, no, you don't. Mm, right. Um, and that even, even with all of our empirical observation, right. You know, we use a, I think it's called the McGill pain questionnaire. And is that the one you, to 10 or zero to 10? Kind of. Yeah. It's like, describe your pain to me. Is it a burning pain? Is it oh, a okay. throbbing pain? You know, um, so there's different types of pain states and we have no words for pain. So I think some of the problem is we don't know how to describe pain. Just mm-hmm. historically been a problem, right? Even even outside the problem of other minds is that when I feel something, I have literally have no words to give to you what it feels like. You know, what does it feel like to have a child? Well, it just hurts a lot. There's mm-hmm. there's no like set this is exactly what it feels like right and yeah. it's different for every person some people have a high tolerance for pain some people have low tolerance for pain why is that you know um and in there are many ways it is related to the problem of other minds what does mm. it feel like to be a bat you know that famous philosophical yeah. paper um what does it feel like to be a robot um and i don't think those are questions that we'll ever know because you're you're asking for an external um observation or uh, empirical data on something that is internal and immaterial. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't think it logically well, makes sense to say, it, go ahead. 
I, I think you're right, but the the immaterial part is interesting because because mm-hmm. if it is immaterial, why well, think the robot has that? Is it because they have a similar structure on a hylomorphist view? So like, would would the robot have an immaterial mind? Or maybe you don't think that. Like, do you do you think we have an immaterial mind on on your hylomorphist? View? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you think the robot um like has one as well? I don't think we'll know yet. Like, I don't. I think we'd have to. Do you think it's possible in principle? Yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's maybe where people diverge from me a lot in a lot of ways. That sure. I do think it's possible. Um, but that's a, I mean, that's a different story. I, I like that. That's a different story than like the raw materialist that we were talking about earlier, where it's yeah, like, no, there's yeah. no immaterial because I don't have an immaterial mind. But you're saying, yeah, if you can make it, if the robot is sufficiently structured or, or you know, uh, mirrors or you know has the, the sufficient complexity that the human mind has, then an immaterial mind would uh, emerge or would be uh, yeah. constituted by that. Yeah. Yeah, I think okay. so. That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a nice way to put it. Um, yeah, I think in that frame, you know, and it's obvious that a lot of roboticists don't believe that. They don't, mm-hmm. you know, and they would say that the distinctions are between a biological cat and a ro- robotic cat is that there's no immaterial, there's no way for them to feel pain. Mm. Um, and I think from a substance dualist view, philosophically, you can't say that like that. Just, I mean, it's, it doesn't, I can't go there. You know, I just, I, I, I believe that it's possible mm. and because of my views about pain and what it is ontologically. And um, so they're, they're not there is what I'm saying. And, there's not a lot of metaphysics in their pedigree to kind of help them kind of get there. Yeah. And, that, and that's understandable, you know? Right. Um, so, so let's say we have uh, like an isomorph of a, of a human, um, but it's a robot. So it has a, let me see. Maybe isomorph is not the right word, but a, uh, an, an analogous, a robot that's made analogous to human. So it, it does have the same, functional parts a brain uh, a neural system sufficiently complex to, to to map onto ours does that robot inherit um the image bearerness from us like it's made in our image do you think yeah. that that robot is likewise an image bearer of god hmm. um i've gone both ways with this one i've hmm. like I've, I've asked the question about the soul like does a robot have a soul can it and i think initially my answer was no that um only the human is has the capacity for for the soul but Mm -hmm. i think i disagree with that now that i think that the robot could inherit the soul and if if god so desired and and i think that's more of a question of for what god would allow versus what we could create Okay. Um, you know, I, I think I'm not sure we'll see it or that we'll ever know, like in the same way that I don't, like you're saying with the problem of other minds, I don't, I don't know for sure. Like there's no empirical evidence to say yes or no, but yeah, um, I think we'll get to a place where we'll, we'll seriously consider like maybe we should consider this as an image bearer. Because because of how maybe not so much on the agency side, we're pretty heavy on the agency side so far, but yeah. on the patiency side, as mm-hmm. as far as how that 
relationships had, you know, has a bilateral effect to it. Yeah. That, you know, I can't abuse you, hurt you, traumatize you without also traumatizing myself. That's a also, see, that, that's an amazing yeah. point. Yeah. Cause yeah. you, you, it's like if, if you have a Roomba and you, you, uh, Lex Friedman had, had did this experiment where he, he gave Roombas like the ability to say ouch when they run into mm-hmm. stuff and said he yeah. had to turn it off because it hurt him and stuff. Whatever. It, the Roomba is not conscious there for sure. And no matter sure. what, everyone yeah. thinks that, right? But it does something to you. And so like it's wrong for you to go and beat that thing and be like, yes, I like it. No, it, you're you're corrupting yourself. You're habituating yourself in like a really mm. gross way. And yeah. you're 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 devolving. Yeah. Yes. Whether yeah. even though it's not a conscious thing that you're doing that to. Yeah, and I, I think too with the the simulation, even if the pain is not real, um, what what kind of like dentistry student is just going to be like, I'm going to take my drill and just bear down on that nerve, you know? Like it, the more realistic that it is, the more that it encodes in you. Uh, yeah. Who definitely is a moral agent and patient. Um, definitely. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. It's it's not good. It hurts. Yeah. It's going to hurt somebody. And, and I think that's kind of the benefit of some of this yeah. is that um, we, we can be so numb to some of these things. Um, and especially with violence and um, like the way that we interact with one another nowadays and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that, like we're, we're so, we're so numb to, to some of these things. And yeah. um, I think some of what like Westworld humans TV shows and others are getting at with a lot of this robotic uh, philosophy is that there are consequences to what we create. And mm-hmm. even though we, we may never have a Dolores Abernathy or whatever, but yeah. we might have something close. It, at least it may look like that, you know, mm-hmm. and it may, um, and it may be abused. And like, yeah. is that right? Is that okay? Just because it's a soulless entity. No, I don't, I don't think that it is just in the same in light, you know, with animals, it's, it's not okay um, to do what, with, with them, whatever we want, because it goes back to the cultural mandate. And like you said at the beginning, it's not about domination. It is about uh, cultivation and, and flourishing. And so yeah. I'm supposed to make environments, whether that's in, in my work as a theologian, philosopher, pastor, husband, father, that cultivate flourishing. Yeah. Um, and so h- how does that, how, how do I do that? If, if I'm like, well, let's just make a bunch of slaves and I'll, I'll work less and I'll, I'll leisure more and mm. all these things. And that's, that's where we're headed. And so, you know, what are, the, what are the necessary steps that we need to take to, to avoid those instances? And, and so if I, if I need to open up my own consciousness about thinking that these implements might have pain, mm. then we need to think about that. We need to yeah. go there. And yeah. um, then I think it also like, it forces you to reconsider too as the more agent, like who am I that I would make something like this? And we kind of go back to Mary Shelley's um, Frankenstein and, and Victor making that monster and then abandoning the monster and then making a partner and then destroying the partner in front of the monster and then leaving it to isolation. And and that's tends to be something we do as humans. Like yeah. we, um, and so that's, I think, in some ways where we're headed. Um, mm. And there, oh, there's just so many great stories about how we we don't want to deal with the philosophy of all these things that we're creating. And 
And I, and I think too, there's a lot of theology that deals with this. It's just a little bit more subtle than in science fiction. Yeah. But it's there and I've completely forgotten the original question. But, <laughs> no uh, worries. This is awesome. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I, I think it's a, a really important point on, on, uh, <clears throat> our own souls, uh, the, um, side of things like, because I, I, I think, I don't think we're going to have conscious robots, but I think there's some, there's some ways you can do it. Even from like a substance dualist view, like, mm. like William Hasker's emergent dualism. He, mm-hmm. he thinks that like the, it's the right structure and it might be committed to like proto panpsychism, whether that's whatever the case, there's other ways. You don't have to be a functionalist to think that robots could have souls. There's, sure. there's other views you can do that. So, so we do need to think through that stuff like you're saying, but even on our side of things, like, yeah, abusing a sex doll or something, right? Like, holy crap, dude, that's horrible for your soul. Like, I don't think the sex doll is feeling anything. Um, but even using that at all, like it's, it's gross. It's, it messes mm-hmm. with you as a person. I think even though it's not conscious, like, um, you know, animals, people might say, well, animals are conscious or something. It's like to be a frog. But I think back to the days when uh, we dissected frogs in school and they weren't, mm-hmm. they weren't conscious, they were dead and they yeah. were killed humanely probably, you know, I hope so. But like some of my, some of my friends are crazy and they're like ripping the frogs apart. And yeah. you're like, bro, there's something wrong with you that you're doing that. It's like, well, it doesn't feel pain. Like, well, it doesn't matter, man. It was an animal <laughs> and it's yeah. gross that you would yeah. go there to rip it apart. Like you're, you're sick, man. There's something wrong with you here. Absolutely. And, and that does habituate you in a certain way to, to be hard towards animals and people. I think I just posted on Facebook a quote, I believe I got from your, your book from uh, Kant that said like hmm. something like he who is, is hard towards animals is will, will like by likewise be hard in his dealings with man. Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing. It's like, it's, it's about your, your sanctification. And I think that stuff doesn't get talked about in, philo- in philosophy because hmm. people think it's a, th- a, a theological thing. Right. But that's why we need theologians thinking about this stuff as well. Yeah. And there are more philosophers talking about that. Um, that, that is a famous quote from Kant in, in this, um, discussion. Yeah. So especially in animal ethics, I think you, you see that quote a lot. Okay. Um, so, so maybe, maybe it's, it's like Christian philosophers and theologians aren't engaging with the animal ethics literature Hmm. enough. Yeah. Um, it could be, there, there, there are a few that it's really hard to find though. Like, people that are evangelical or um, even remotely conservative theologically to kind of engage with those. Now, um, William Lane Craig has, has done some, um, there's another book called red tooth, uh, red and tooth and claw. That yeah. is, that is especially about um, the problem of pain and suffering in animals. That's really well done. Uh, but they're there. It's a, it's a small library. So um, yeah. I think, those conversations go together, though, especially with the robots. Yeah, um, I hadn't thought about that because, yeah, there's that's kind of the newest one right now is uh, the problem of animal suffering, and and uh, and then you get the young earth, old earth debate whether there was death before the fall and stuff like that. And I've mm-hmm. seen that, but but connecting that specifically to the robot uh, conversation, I think is really really fascinating. And then seeing uh, caring for your own soul and the souls of others, and not letting people abuse uh, robots because it's bad for you, and you're turning people into abusers people are turning themselves into abusers yeah and the argument is that we wouldn't do that right um or that you know it's another theological assumption about human nature in, in a lot of these circles that humans are mostly good mm. and i know that's it's not popular but i'm like no you're you're not and um i can show you why you're not and uh, you know if i put you in the right 
circumstance, like it, you'd probably torture somebody. You'd probably, you're like, I would never do those things. There, there's always, there's always limit cases to where if the conditions are right, you'll do horrible things to other humans mm-hmm. and not care. Yeah. Um, at the moment you will later, but that's a different story. And, yeah. and likewise, you know, so for me, it's like, well, I, I would do that to a robot, but I wouldn't do it to a human. It's like the whole plot of Westworld, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. but what does it say about you that you want to do that? Or, right. you know, and if nothing else, if nothing else, if you don't care about other entities at all, you're, you're forming your own mind, like you said, yeah. and, and habits of mind that um, are extremely unhealthy Yeah, and, and will bring to bear in, in either your marriage or, um, you know, especially in your soul. But I mean, th- yeah. there will, there will be, utilities that come out of it that are not good yeah so well and this this conversation this is awesome man this it, it also connects to to porn and objectification mm-hmm. and um you know young men like dude i used to be uh addicted to porn god saved me from that and it was like well it's better this because no one's getting hurt here mm-hmm. than uh you know than going out and, and trying to hook up with with girls on the weekend or whatever and you know all sorts of depra- depravity creeps in there but it's like one, it's not just hurting you because you're part of this complex that's mm-hmm. saying we we want more. The people are watching this, so now bring in more and hurting all sorts of people that way. But even if that weren't the case somehow, and maybe sex dolls is the example, but it's still hurting me. I'm still becoming that person. My my uh, neural circuits are are being wired a certain way to look at women a, a certain way. Oh yeah, um, even I'm, even I'm uh, habituated. Yeah. No, there's even more research lately uh, about how it affects the dark matter in your brain. Like during COVID, um, in March 2020, Pornhub hit its, um, no spoiler, I mean, trigger alert for people. Um, You know, like this website hit its, you know, like the most views that had ever, like downloads. They made it free for a couple months. I remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, and so um, I think it was last year or the year before, some scientists, you know, neuroscientists did some studies on this, and they're like, actually... The usage of this is bad. It's hmm. actually it does actually hurt your brain. Yeah. And and here's how. So that that data is out there, and yeah. um, I could find the paper somewhere and send it to you. But not even that. But like you know, I've heard actresses say, former actresses that you know, well, we wouldn't consider it addictive, or we wouldn't consider it a problem because you know it's it's like therapy. And I'm like, well, you know, therapy shouldn't be at the the cost of because there, there is research out there uh, by a lady who um, leads something called Trafficking Hub mm. that um, she has done multiple lawsuits, like helped multiple lawsuits against um, that website because there was uh, there was no like vetting process to upload videos. Yeah, I've heard about so, this. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like so Visa, Mastercard, you can look at it. They've all like kind of like pulled. Yeah. It's awesome. So, I mean, yeah, you can't, you can no longer say it's not hurting anybody because they're right. literally propagating like yeah. more, more rape and more harm. And so, well, and so the conversation can move then to sex robots and say, look, there, there's nothing it's like to be this robot. Uh, we haven't, whatever your theory of mind, we haven't made it sufficiently uh, complex or uh, conscious or uh, uh, able to be conscious. So, there's nothing it's like to be this robot. So, go ahead and take out all your, all your frustrations on this robot. I've mm-hmm. seen uh, uh, this. 
Whitney Cummings, I think, uh, is uh, the comedian. She made like mm-hmm. a sex yeah. doll of herself, right? Mm-hmm. And she she had a joke about this a long time ago about how you know teenage boys should have a sex doll and blah blah blah. And it's a joke, right? I'm not going to take her stuff too seriously here, but that mentality, if you were to use that to say, look, okay, fine, Pornhub's bad because it uses real people, but we're going to use robots. It's still doing the same stuff, and we don't yeah. have the data on that yet because it's not widescreen, but that's you don't do that to yourself like the the conversation moves right into robots immediately and you think maybe it's more humane and it's like it's not humane to have a society of folks who are habituating themselves towards that action yeah so it's extremely complex um so there's a lot there's a large body of philosophical literature on this topic um about oh so for i think for the public when they see this stuff or they see those objects and for the most part, they are objectified versions of women or yeah. men, you know, yeah. like just ex- exaggerated because that's what the customer requests. But sure. um, I, I've, I've been in conferences and listened to some of these creators talk about it. And I think from their perspective, just to play devil's advocate. Yeah, literally. Uh, <laughs> they, yeah, they, for them, they, they do see it as a therapy outlet. Mm-hmm. And there are arguments to be made for those who struggle with pedophilia. And, and that these might be um, a better outlet for for somebody whose you know gray matter lights up when they see a child versus yeah. you know other things. And so um, I, I don't. I think there are other more ironclad approaches. You know that we could do. Um, mm. There's there's chemical castration. Other things that have been proven to work. Um, but you know for people that think that's inhumane you know there's the argument that well we could use these dolls or robots for that and but still i i i I say back to them it's like okay well if somebody was racist it's there are a lot of racist people right i live in mississippi say i say i give them a a um, person of color robot yeah and every day it goes out and beats it and hangs it and um, is that okay? No, it's not okay. Why? Mm. It doesn't feel anything. And um, Patrick Lynn actually made that argument. I stole it. Mm. Um, he's a philosopher, but uh, it's a similar thing, right? It's, it's, yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't be okay with that, or you know. So why why is it all of a sudden okay for the the pedophile to abuse the robot, or yeah. you know, to take out his uh, cognitive failure on the robot so um there's something to account for there i i I understand like what if the data comes out and it massively decreases the actual act of rape like i think that maybe that's a different story um and i don't i don't want to like i don't like it either way like i don't no 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 and just just talk about the results of the fall right yeah yeah but and then you got to um, get in the, the pragmatics of it too right like so it's practical or it's pragmatic to do this but is it right you know yeah. is it still right to do that I mean, you have that's where the philosopher not, yeah. comes through and it's like now let's you know yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're americans and we like we were you know our favorite our our famous philosophy is pragmatism uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah. and so we yeah. are very pragmatic people oh even in the church like that is that for sure it's everything for sure. uh, for sure. that we do right and uh there was a big scandal that came out and, um, you know, I guess, unfortunately, uh, we belong to a Southern Baptist church mm. and, um, all that stuff that's come out, you know, and about child abuse. And it, it's been very pragmatic, like 
none of none of this should have been ever justified. But even through the years, I have friends that were uh, men who were abused, and yeah. they were like, "You can't, you can't say anything because you'll lose, you'll lose your ministry if you come out and say that you were abused, because yeah. then they'll think that you're a pedophile." And it's like, what? Like, you, you think that's that's the response that we right. get from from Jesus to, you know, who was like, hey, if you abuse children, it's better to be milestone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Right. Um, but that's where we are. And so I wrestle with that a lot. And we as a local church do absolutely nothing for hundreds of thousands of, of men and women who struggle with childlike attraction and, mm. and there's different layers, right? There's people who like little, little kids and there's people who like teenagers and so forth yeah, um, and everything in between. So I'm not, I'm not lumping them all together, but, sure. but philosophically, theologically, there's, there's like little to no literature. Yeah. Um, so I talk about that in my, my dissertation as well. Yeah. It's just, you know, spoilers, but yeah. Like, well, Josh, that's, that's why. So, um, you mentioned this too. You, you, uh, we we need to be thinking about this stuff, and and I know you know this, um, but and a lot of my listeners will know. But the church is usually like twenty years behind mm-hmm. um, uh, culture, and so I'm I'm just pumped that you're thinking about this stuff um, early, right? It's not even really that early uh, in the in the game, right? But it's early for us. It's not twenty years late, <laughs> I guess. So I um, guess, yeah. So I'm pumped about that, man. And even thinking through like in, in, like helping people with mm-hmm. uh, with malformed uh, desires and. Mm-hmm like helping, like wanting to pray and help and wrestle through. And it's awesome, man. I'm, I'm glad you're thinking about this stuff. I'm, I'm glad you're thinking about uh, robot theology as well and seeing the implications for all sorts of stuff. I got to have you back on, man. You got to come back on. Okay. There's so much more to talk about. We, we hardly covered this book. Um, and then I'm going to grab your other one. We can, uh, we can talk about that one as well. So please come back on. Oh, absolutely, Parker. Thank you, man. Definitely. It's been great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, before I let you go, though, um, you have a YouTube channel. Um yeah, kind of. Yeah, okay. I'm not really, I'm not really active on it. Um, I, I do post some some stuff from the podcast that I work on. Okay. Occasionally, like it's not a regular thing. Yeah. Uh, it's called uh, the the Dolores Project. Dolores Project. That's the name yeah. of the podcast. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, um, awesome. named I'll put a after, link in, in the description here. After Dolores Appertine. Oh no so, way, dude! I just yeah. put that together. Holy yeah. cow! So uh, I, I talk about this stuff with different roboticists and um, moral philosophers. And, um, you know, there's a couple of theologians even on there. So, um, we, we talk about all things robot ethics. And, uh, so yeah, you can check out some of those episodes if you like, and I'm still early as a podcaster. So yeah. just forgive me for all my many sins of <laughs> quality and stuff. So, but yeah, um, and then I'm writing several books, uh, chapters and still thinking about this stuff, um, working on a project now about violence and technology and okay. um, how it's all driven by this religious desire to overcome the fall kind mm. of, you know, and um, just kind of tracing out this, this literature, which is, I mean, is so religious, um, all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then some other more practical things coming up, but um, yeah, awesome. lots my world That's is awesome. robots, basically. Seriously, yeah. I, I I wanted to get into uh, autonomous warfare, but we don't have time right now. But we got to talk about that. And we can next, go yeah, with, we can talk about that next. Yeah, Philip K. Dick's uh, three variety, the third variety. He's got this awesome little short piece about autonomous weapons, and it's it's crazy and terrifying. I had nightmares okay. from it, but it's so good. Um, <laughs> awesome, man. All right, so I got to let you go here, but uh, this has been Parker's Pensies. You can find the link, the links to the description 
in the description to uh, all Josh's stuff. You can find him on Twitter as well. Um, that's going to have to do it for now, folks. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.